Hello, friends. Today on the podcast, we've got two ladies from Kinky London Escorts Collective. We chat about many different things, and I don't know about all of you, but I find the British accent quite endearing. Prepare yourselves for a lovely trip across the pond to hear these ladies discuss their stories and how the collective came to be. Just before I start the recording, I want to address the current situation as escorts are facing online. Sex workers have always had their account shut down simply for existing on private platforms. A religious anti-porn organization filed a lawsuit against Twitter, alleging that they are, quote, benefiting from sex trafficking ventures. So FOSTA SESTA, the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, and Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, clarify the country's sex trafficking law to make it illegal to knowingly assist, facilitate, or support sex trafficking, and amend the Section 230 Safe Harbors and Communications Decency Act, um, to making it making companies liable for what their users post on their platforms. That is a simplified version of what's happening. The amendments to Section 230 are there to, quote, open more avenues for victims of online sex trafficking to legally pursue websites that facilitate trafficking. In theory, but in practice, they seek to purge all of us agency-based sex workers as well. Um, and often we are one in the same to many of these religious anti-sex trafficking organizations. Any assertion on my part um, or on any escort's part is often seen as a sad result of brainwashing. And I do not possess the mental capacity or clarity required to determine that I am not being exploited. Um, and this wasn't an actual choice of mine. So basically... They are the ones creating the unsafe conditions they claim to be trying to eradicate by forcing us all to work in more unsafe, more unsafe shadows and corners of society and the internet. Um, it is very possible that um, all the sex workers you follow on Twitter suddenly disappear because the platforms hosting us are increasingly focused on erasing us from their platforms. Um, it's it's just it's just the way the laws are working out right now. So there's no time like the present to jot down your favorite escorts email, follow their OnlyFans, support them there, or support them. Um, otherwise, some people have made mailing lists. You can always just take a look right now at that person's Twitter or send them an email and ask how they would like to be kept up with um, in case their accounts suddenly disappear. Uh, I know there's a lot of panic. Let's not panic. We will figure it out. Um, but this is probably not the first we will see of this this year, definitely not this decade. Um, so yes, what can you do? As I mentioned, jot down the information of your favorite ladies um, and really just also in your day-to-day -day life when possible, encourage discussion around agency-based sex work not being part of sex trafficking, advocate for decriminalization and um, for clarification, when I say agency-based, I do not mean working for an agency or brothel, but being an agent of one's own free will and one's own free agent, aka agency-based. So with no further delay, I hope you all enjoy hearing from Louisa Knight and Hazel. There's a lot of people who are trying things that they've never tried before. Sex! Why do you think people don't see it as work? I don't know. I think there's just too much stigma. What do you mean we can't just go tell people? The vast uh, complexity of human sexuality. The escort. Deconstructed. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, right. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm always like better when I podcast with a glass of wine. I hope it doesn't bother either of you. Not at all. Wine is good. <laughs> wine is good. I get way too cerebral and neurotic and my own worst enemy. It's, it's a lot of pressure a little bit to be like broadcasting your opinions, but... 
Keep oh trying my god, to I know. We talked about this. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we've got the lovely Louisa Knight and Hazel. I actually don't know if you have a last name or working last name. Nope. Just okay. Hazel. Just Hazel. Yeah. Um, are you, you're both founding members of the Kinky London Escorts Collective? I am, yes. Okay. As Louisa. Yeah. Awesome. And these ladies are based in London, and I'm really excited to be talking to people not in North America right now. This is exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit about who both of you are for anyone who doesn't know you. Um, hello, I'm Louisa, and firstly, thank you so much for having us. It is so exciting to do something different, firstly, <laughs> and uh, as we're doing this over Zoom, I took this opportunity to actually uh, put some makeup on, which feels like a thing I haven't oh, done. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you look great. <laughs> I didn't even thank shower. <laughs> well, at this point, I'll take any excuse, so um, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, I'm Louisa. I am... Uh, well, I'm actually not based in London. I am now based in the countryside in the south of England, but I lived in London for years. And I have been an escort for like five years now, on and off. Um, it's always been something that I fixed alongside lots of other things in my life. Um, sometimes I was studying, other times it's other work, it's creative projects, it's that kind of thing. Um, and I'm a founder member of uh, KLE, which is Kinky London Escorts Collective. And uh, I, uh, what else to say? For someone um, that's been in it like on and off, you're pretty, pretty ambitious making a collective and being a founding member. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes you don't know the scale of the thing you're taking on until it's underway. <laughs> totally. When it began, I was like, it's like a fun side project. And suddenly you're like, oh, wow, I have three full time jobs. How did this happen? So, uh, I think it might have been a question of some of us didn't quite know um, the mountain we were beginning to climb until we got to base camp. But it's been really fun and a lovely project and um, something that continues to bring me loads of joy and also learning and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a real it's delight a to work on. Good thing to spend your time on. I can't think of a more worthwhile time investment, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you're going to work in the totally. industry anyways. Yeah. Well, so I don't know if you have this, but do you ever have tasks that you always want to do so they become the thing that when you're avoiding the boring work you're like I'm gonna do some KLE stuff because I really like that oh, and I'm definitely beautiful. not gonna clean my house yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it, yes it definitely occupies that space for me um oh that's great so. um yeah Hazel let's hear let's hear a little bit about who you are a little bit about me well yes I'm Hazel uh, I've been an escort specifically for just over a year um so it doesn't like sound that long when i say that but it feels like a lot longer and i think that's because of covid um <laughs> but before that i kind of um got into it through like arrangements as i think quite a lot of other people do oh, um, love it. as a kind of student um and kind of realized that I would have a lot more ability to make my own decisions uh, and kind of set firm parameters for what, you know, how, how when I saw people and how I saw people if I went the escort route rather than, like, sugar dating. Um, so, yeah, I think I didn't come in completely fresh to it a year ago. It's like it was... It was it's still been a bit of a roller coaster, I think, a learning curve. Um, 
especially where the, like, the space that we occupy online is marketing ourselves. I think it's, it's a lot to learn uh, when you're first starting out. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to Have you know actually about, found you know? that, though, when you started escorting, that it was more your choices and it was better than the sugaring? Did you find that? Infinitely. Yeah, absolutely infinitely. Because I think a lot of the case with the sugaring was that people were trying to get as much out of you for free as they could. You know, there was no, there was no recompense for the effort you were putting in on your side in the same way that there is on this side. Um, and it's just, it's, it's the ability to, you can just set your bars and stick to them with that. Whereas I think within sugaring, the men often see it more as dating. It's interesting. So it's I've like got, I've gotten flack about saying that exactly that. I think that sugaring kind of necessitates unpaid labor, which is okay sometimes, but I think it necessitates it, and that I'm misrepresenting mm. sugaring, which I. But this is always, might I say, usually coming from men. Mm. I don't know. So I like to ask people just just to see what everyone else's experience is. Did you have Twitter when you were sugaring? Like, I'm so interested to know if maybe sugar babies have, like, Twitters in the same way that escorts have Twitters. Have you guys even seen that? No. Yeah, no, I, I, I hadn't. I didn't even know about Twitter until I was kind of researching escorting and would go onto people's websites, and then I saw that they had a Twitter link, and I thought, they have social media for their, <laughs> like, escort names. Like, this is amazing. And, like, then just fell into a hole of, like, oh, my gosh, like, how are they upkeeping two social medias at all times? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's – and then you kind of, yeah, just fall into it and you get to grips with it. And it's, you know, it's really good fun. And I think it's one of the more fun sides of doing it. You know, you can just have an actor with – your colleagues online uh, and have a few laughs and yeah the threads are always brilliant too I think oh my gosh yeah I mean it's it's it starts to be a business I guess when you have a business twitter for it mm-hmm. uh, yeah exactly. I mean go for it no 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 I was, I was just gonna say I think with online you know as businesses are always having to do more content online even if they're not a content like generating business and I think it, it does create a lot more work for anyone, whether you're like a sole trader or a, a big company, because everyone's constantly having to put out this online content. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, it, it's kind of balancing that between like the good sides of being on social media, because you're not always just doing it as a business. Sometimes you are doing it to connect with your colleagues. The moral of the story is tip her because she does a lot of free content. So that that's she all that's all that. I heard there, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time to be spending online. Amen. Good work, ladies. Did you have something you wanted to add? Oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say. Um... Oh, about your question about sugar babies. I never see sugar babies on Twitter, but I think sugar babies used to live like on Tumblr and Reddit, and. Mm. There was, I feel like there was a golden age. Probably there still is. I've never been a sugar baby. I could not. I could never. It's like a form of sex work I know I could not do, along with basically all other forms of sex work, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I found the strength, and I just play to that one now. Um, but, yeah, I think 
um, it's often at odds with uh, like how you sometimes have to work as a sugar baby, which my understanding is that it's deprofessionalized or certainly the optics are deprofessionalized. So to have a persona, to have a Twitter persona and like a place in which you connect with a load of people with that in mind, I think there's like a fundamental tension at work there. So maybe they're not out here doing it like we are. Um, but I'm sure that they have uh, loads of spaces and communities online. That's a really, probably... good, really good point, though. It's like that the whole culture kind of thrives on denial of you're not a professional, not seeking professionals, and kind of takes away that one little bit of self-proclaimed labeling. I hate labels, but like in a way that mm. would give you an identity about it and allow you to like set boundaries, I guess. Apparently, yeah, they course. thrive I mean, I... on Facebook. Oh, wow. Well, I don't even go on Facebook anymore because I, I just right? think it was like boomers. It's boomers. And also they hate sex on Facebook along with everywhere else on the internet. So Fair. Uh, yep. I haven't been there for a while. Um, I've just seen one lady posting a lot about apparently threads on Facebook of sugar babies trying to, uh, I guess, get tips from each other. And then I know they have a podcast. But anyways, anyways, I digress into topics that we are interested in. <laughs> Not like we're not interested. It's just like I feel like I've been beating the horse, the dead horse, if that's the expression. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, I haven't really talked that much about like COVID and how it's impacted me very much on the podcast. Do you guys want to talk about how COVID's maybe like influenced your sex work or just even your life? Like whatever you want to share. Yeah, it feels impossible to not talk about it now. The idea of beginning a conversation without going, so, oh my God, what have you been doing? Um, let's talk about it. I mean, I want to hear how it's been for you first because you haven't had a chance to talk about it. So maybe you tell us. Oh, God. What has it been like? Well, I obviously, like most people, panic attacks the first month almost like every day. I think it was just like the amount of propaganda we were being fed every day. And just for people that don't know, propaganda does not necessitate that the information is false. It just necessitates that it's being bombarded and kind of steering you into a mindset without option for questioning or maybe disregarding some of the information so it's just the amount of times you saw politicians on the news when you wouldn't normally be seeing them and all the mystery around what you are supposed to do how the mortality rate of it so obviously panic attacks were well warranted for most of us um I think uh, I was not one of the one of the stable ones that got to have a great new routine and learn a language and learn how to play the guitar. I very much was the. <laughs> it took me a few months. By a few, I mean like six to <laughs> get my shit together. But I guess it's it's all right. Going into endless lockdown, you guys are in like another really strict lockdown too right now, right? We're in the third lockdown we've had, the national lockdown, yeah. The the similar to the one that was the first time in March, right, like, severity-wise? Yeah. Yeah, it's, if anything, slightly stricter. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's annoying, but uh, I feel like I'm better prepared, if that makes sense. Like, it's uh, at this point, I know that they're lying about it being two weeks, so it's just kind of like, yes, my perseverance is not um, hinging on the date that it's going to stop. So yeah, I I feel like I've I've tried to do the OnlyFans thing, and that, I mean, like I picked to be a whore for a reason. Um, I don't like taking pictures of myself. I have never like done a Skype dirty call with a boyfriend in my life. I'm not someone that likes seeing my cooch on pictures. That is just me and my comfort level. I can show people in person, but it is not my preference to take pictures and have evidence. I just, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> Evidence that you have one. 
know. It's a secret. It can be neither confirmed or denied. Right. Maybe I do have a dick. What does it matter? It's just to the person that's going to see it. They're going to see it and they'll be surprised then. But yeah, it, it's I've I've found it. Some people have called me horophobic for not wanting to do online creation, and I feel that's quite out of line. Um, I don't shame anyone that does it, but I don't have to be wanting to do every facet of sex work to prove that I don't buy into the hierarchy. I don't know if that's fair. I think that's totally fair. I think if anything, I've had exactly the same experience as you. I started an OnlyFans with a girlfriend of mine that did the first lockdown with me and it was nice for the kind of mutual solidarity but the yeah and also kind of you you create more of a a good rhythm when someone else is holding you accountable to like oh we said we would do this content today this will be fun so you've kind of got that in place but then when she moved out at the end and it sort of changed I suddenly was like oh my God, this is so hard. I can't, and like you, it's it's like five jobs, really. None of which I'm skilled for. Um, and also, it's it's hard, like you say, to look at photos of yourself constantly. Like, I don't think you're ready for that, even if you are somebody that's like a very naked sexual person. That's a very different experience when it's mediated through like so many photos of yourself or video of yourself. Uh, even Video of yourself, the thing that really fucked with me was hearing my voice. I can't edit my voice that much because oh by God. the end, I'd rather, at that point, I'm like, I just want to look at pictures of, of, of my allowance. Can I say cunt on this podcast? You Sorry, can I can't. anything you want. Okay. <laughs> I don't say pussy, I say cunt. And I just sometimes I'm like, oh, is that going to be offensive? But like, I don't want to look at it endlessly in photos. And I think to say that you don't want to do that is actually not to denigrate people doing that hustle. It's to acknowledge how much labor it is and that like not all of us have those, what are able to do that or kind of your mental health can withstand it. And I have now the most endless boundless respect for people doing OnlyFans all the time through this pandemic because it's, it's such hard work. And I think you could not want to do it and that not be to say that isn't homophobic in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it's helped out just with stigma, maybe just the pure amount of people that are not considered sex workers. So that's maybe a positive. Did you do any of that online content creation, Hazel? Yeah, I did any fans. I did. I did pretty much the same thing. I think that initially I started out with a podcast before I did any fans. Um, Like a private, it was just like a private podcast, but um, it wasn't covering what it needed to cover. Uh, in terms of what I'd lost out from in-person work. So I was like, okay, fine, we'll try any fans too. Um, and uh, I think I thought that you would, like, I would just, like, take a few snaps, put them online, and just, like, walk away and come back and have, like, loads of money. Um, but it was really, really grueling and really hard. And I think if you're sitting, like, you, we don't have access to our normal lives in lockdown. So it's not like I was you know, doing my job online and then going out and meeting my friends, you know, everything was online. All of my socialization was online. All of my other work outside of Hazel's responsibilities was online. So the last thing I wanted to do was replace my bookings with more stuff online. And especially if I wasn't in the mood, like it's, there's quite a lot about like, if, if, <laughs> if you're in quite a bleak moment and you're not feeling horny, having to film yourself or take pictures of yourself and act that out is, is really hard, I think, mentally, um, and to do it consistently and then 
keep up an online uh, relationship with you know regulars and also new people that have joined your OnlyFans. It's, it's quite grueling, and it, I wasn't coming across how I would usually want to come across within bookings. Um, I actually think I ended up being quite uh, tense to people or quite um, firm <laughs> a lot of the time just because I'd run out of patience. So, yeah, it's a I, like, massive respect to people that do that for their job, you know, all the time, throughout day to day, because I could not keep up. It's, uh, it's, it's like you said, you're not in the mood sometimes. And I know most people that are doing this as their full-time job, they are um, taking a lot of content one day and releasing it different days. But nonetheless, if you, anytime you release something, you have to be ready for potentially a barrage of insults and trolling and just the mental stamina that must take and lack of thin skin. I don't know that I have that. Like I have very <laughs> thin skin. I'm not meant to be an online content creator. No, and also I think there's something about, like you say, you can work in a sort of smarter, not harder way with regards to generating content, um, but then in so much as there is a kind of ongoing back and forth with people on that platform, and that's important, and that relationship building is really integral to the model. Um, I'm used to having firmer boundaries between my clients and my own personal space, and that's why I always feel like I've been able to do... Uh, my job well because I look after myself and keep those boundaries in place and feel confident in them and so then when I turn up I really turn up but the kind of um, inability especially when we're all at home all the time and we're all online all the time so there is this kind of quite a lot of um, yeah like it's very hard to carve out private space for yourself and to not feel like you're always sexually available because i think all all people need a little bit of uh, downtime and solo time to feel like fully realized sexual people and uh that was that's hard for me well thank goodness we've Actually, all found our niches <laughs> i think like in the context of the pandemic too you know but ahead of it you can be one of the horniest people in the world but it's really hard to know what's going to happen to your sex drive when there's a crisis happening. And some people... Oh, my God, the sex drive. Um, but it's very up and down, and it's not reliable, and you, you don't have that continuity that you'd have in normal life where you know, yeah, like, I'm going to be up for that, you know. But um, I think that's what made it quite difficult. Plus, staying inside all the time is not too fun. Moral of the story is don't feel bad if you haven't been 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10. You've just been a 3 out of 10. That's totally, totally cool. We're all doing it too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know it's really personal, but it it does help in case anyone actually researching the sex work industry, not like Rashida Jones, wants to come and find this valuable information. And here it is. um okay yeah i mean i i got you guys to introduce yourselves a little bit i think you did a good job i didn't actually ask do do you guys show your faces online do you hide your faces i'm always curious i hide mine okay yeah me too okay just not so you're getting an exclusive sneak preview here yeah. of my <laughs> i mean i think that we usually do talking to other sex workers like i didn't even put makeup on i just assume that i don't i kind of thought you guys were going to point it at the wall i was surprised to see your faces so i'm flattered 
<laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would love to get into KLE Collective. So I did have one other collective on the podcast, um, OIC, back in the day. And I can't say that I actually heard of collectives before because I'm not as, I guess, I don't know what the word is. I don't look into things as much. Maybe I was avoiding learning about <laughs> sex work politics for like quite the beginning. So I was in denial, I think. I don't know. Quite the, quite the turnaround from not learning to having a podcast about it. So, I mean, yeah, um, a founding member, like how did this even, yeah, take it away? <laughs> um, so it began, I think, like all very good things in the pub, um, just as a sort of initial conversation between uh, a, a small group of us here in London, of fellow independents, um, all of whom were friends. And we just started to talk increasingly about our frustrations with what we were working with, um, with regards to online directories, platforms, ad boards, those kinds of things. And I listened to the podcast with um, OIC and we completely approached it from the same place as them. This like oh. growing frustration, it's great. Uh, this growing frustration with um, the fact that these resources were not held by us and they were used by other people. I, you know, you assume men in other countries or kind of commercial interests and they uh, essentially hold you hostage with these things and not only are they not owned by you as a community of sex workers, they're also a lot of the time just not even good. Like that was the thing that frustrates us is that if if they had good user experiences or sorry, good user ex interaction or interface, whatever the word is, um, and they showed off all the beautiful photos that we spend loads of time taking and they felt like they were really working for us, then it might be slightly different. But we felt like these were... Um, not great platforms, not not really for us, and primarily there to make other people money. And um, I think also that's particularly true in a kink space because the kink directories that you have here, certainly in the UK, um, they're often splitting out kink from sex when in reality I think any grown-up knows that kink is sex and sex is kink and here you'll have like reams and reams of resources available for dominatrixes um, and then you have separate stuff for escorts when in reality all of us are doing kink at work all the time in different ways and that kink is a part of our sexual experiences and identities and to prop up that binary felt really unhelpful for us because you know I understand why it's in there um, and I understand that, especially in the context of markets where there's criminalization. So kink workers often have to step back from the sexual components of their job. But could you just that's a not quick describe what kink is for people listening that don't know what kink is? Like they have an idea kind of like they're like, what is queer? I know I've heard it tossed around. But like, what do, could you even try to like describe what kink is? <laughs> I guess if I was going to describe kink, which feels like quite a tricky task, <laughs> I would... Um, I would revert back to this helpful understanding I have of it from the theorist Gail Rubin, where she talks about there being two circles of sex. There's the kind of middle circle of sex that's okay, socially okay, in air quotes, and normative, and that is um, sex between men and women and sex that is um, kind of vanilla and missionary and... Um, kind of a contained thing and that doesn't brush up against anything that feels like dirty traditional, or destabilizing. Traditional sex. 
yeah, I, I'm doing all this in air quotes. I don't, people yeah. can't see that, but like, yeah. Um, sex that feels uh, sort of non-threatening. And the kink then, um, I would say, and this is just my definition, encapsulates everything that's outside of that circle and everything that might be understood in a different context as sort of, well, historically deviant or strange, but that that's not so helpful now, but it could include all kinds of things that... Um, are to do with playing with power dynamics and playing with ideas of what's wrong and exploring things that might be kind of uh, shameful or um, a part of a broader sexual experience. That's such a bad definition. I was not prepared to define. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. uh, I shouldn't have put you on the spot like that. But like by definition, like you said, seeing an escort is by definition a kink then because it's not with your wife or your traditional partner, is it? So everything is a kink. I really like that. Yeah, and I so often meet people and they're like, hey, I'm not really kinky, but could we just do the normal stuff? Like you piss on me and I call you mommy, but just the normal <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, okay, totally, yeah, you're just totally. a vanilla guy. Cool. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we uh, often have quite like rigid definitions of what kink is or who is kinky, when in reality, I think most of us have got some kinky streaks in us, whether we want to identify with that label or not. But mm, yeah. Totally. Um, I like that then. Kinky and an escorts makes more sense to me now. Yeah, and I think that was it. Like, we wanted to create a space that kind of could hold um, all of those parts of our sexual identities and preferences and that was nuanced and that kink doesn't always have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to um, entail certain acts, but that, you know, we could decide what that was and we could be in charge of it. And that sense of autonomy and control over our things was also fundamental to the platform. Um, platform sounds very grand to the collective. Website, um, collective. Yeah, the website. <laughs> um, so yeah, it began from there. There were like approximately 20 founder members to begin with. And we spitballed everything initially around like what the site would look like, how it would run what we would all do um what was important to us um all the kind of functional things and then we kind of created that framework and it just grew over the years and that that was about two years ago sorry that it really um launched and then since then i think what's happened is it's been a space for us to think about new ways of working and um ways of being really truly collective and challenging some sort of more dominant forces in the sex industry like those like the hegemony of those other review boards and all those kinds of things and um creating something that works for us and that feels really mutually supportive and where we can celebrate in each other's successes and support each other um i should say also like this is fundamental to this model is that it is not to make money like no one makes money from this it's an entirely community owned and non-profit thing and that's integral to it because we just don't think that we can serve each other's interests if we're anyone's ever making a profit from each other and um it doesn't create the right environment for us for it to be that way um i know that oic probably talked about this but i already forget um how do you come up with the 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 model of the collective like what is that specifically based off of like did you read a bunch of it's just you both came to the idea that it's called a collective you know what i mean so like i'm just wondering if this is based off of some something else i mean i guess the idea of working collectively is something that myself and other founder members knew 
about through other forms of like community organizing, which happens okay. in a different space, and that a kind of non-hierarchical um, open space is a model that we borrowed from there. But I think you know, everyone has a different definition of what it means to be a collective. And there are some things where, you know, not every single decision that we make is made by committee, like some nuts and bolts stuff, people are just empowered to make decisions themselves. Like we aren't signing off every single tweet caption on mass, all 84 of us. But uh, yeah, and I think it just also conveyed the right sort of thing in terms of like how we wanted people to understand what we were doing. That's awesome. And so it's also like, trying to think how how to phrase this it's just where some clients might go to browse the different profiles instead of one of the directories and it's also like do you guys give each other advice sometimes like what is the collective bit that isn't just it being a directory I suppose yeah I think the um the thing that's collective is that we do make decisions collectively about how we operate um we do also have principles around like mutual support, skill sharing, creating resources that are available both for us, but then also the wider community. And it's it's kind of the thing that makes us really collective, I think, is a shared investment in one another. And oh, um, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I can say more about that. Sorry. Yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> I've been talking for ages and Hazel, what do you love about the collective or why do you want to join the collective? How'd you come across it? I guess, uh, how did I come across it? Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that, uh, I think it was the, uh, studio Sajman pictures that led me to joining actually. I think because I saw the pictures and they just looked so fucking cool. First of all, and it was just this beautiful just setup of these people that you could see also like you could somehow see in the pictures that they were still friends like it this wasn't a fake modeling of people that are actually strangers. you could so tell through all of those pictures that everyone is friends behind the scenes and and this is people that are rooting for each other and and I, I just like. I don't know, like a, a, a girl gang. Oh, not even a girl gang. That's probably the wrong. I literally—that is the word that came into my mind, and I'm like, no, don't uh, say it. It's just like a it's... really cool. It's just a really cool <laughs> group of people who are like-minded and also very individual as well. You've got that perfect mix of people having similarities and differences, and that's what makes it perfect. Um, because you you have that mishmash. I think often the, the thing that you see outside of collectives, like in agencies, is they just have a certain type of person that they'll go through, like go for continuously, and it's not got that collective behind it. You know, you, you don't have people being friends behind the scenes and looking after each other behind the scenes. It's not a shop front, you know, this is just a directory, but so much of its value is behind the scenes. Um, and yeah, so then I just reached out after I saw those pictures and I think I was like this, I don't remember, I think the 50th or something. Were you the 50th then. member? We should have done a, I, oh my God, I, that's I, I had an email somewhere. 
I it, I have an email somewhere where I, I think like, it was like, it might be the 50th one. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can dig it out. But um, yeah, and there's just a lot of really amazing benefits to being part of the collective, I think, because you, you just have access to brilliant people who are also really close friends who have incredible skills and yeah, just incredible perspective from things too. Did you, uh, so you said you were sugaring and then were you like an independent escort or did you start working for an agency after that sugaring thing or did you immediately find the collective or were you independent for a bit before flying in the collective? Yeah, so it, I was sugaring and it got to the point where I was, I was sugaring and researching escorting while I was doing that and I essentially any money that I got from sugaring, I was putting it towards being able to have my own website and pictures. Uh, so I, I, you know, I had that goal for months and then I uh, set up my website and started independent work as an escort. Um, I've never worked with an agency. Um, and I think it was within like two or three months of independent work that I then saw the KLE shoot, I would say. I was still pretty new. I should say that the thing, I don't know if you know this, Yana, but the thing that Hazel is referring to is we did like a group photo shoot quite early on in the life of the collective and um, then, uh, yeah, tried to kind of capture everybody that was, you know, a member then um, and kind of have something that was like more original content. Um, because that felt like a thing we wanted to move into because we had so many brilliant, creative, fantastic people in the collective that it seemed a shame to not kind of share those resources and, and make stuff together. Um, and, um, yeah, I think we had a huge uptick in membership inquiries after that because I think suddenly when you can... Um, visualize what this looks like and yeah I, I think the, the connections and friendships between people really do come across in those photos and I love them for that um so yeah that was a, a kind of a turning point I think in our visibility maybe that's awesome I haven't seen the first one but I've seen obviously the ones up on your website right now and I mean it looks like a fashion shoot like a magazine catalog like it's everyone looks so gorgeous and like sexy and sultry Aww. in the photos <laughs> But yeah, sex work is super <laughs> isolating. So I love the idea of just like being able to all be showcased on a platform and just be friends and also own the place that you're being advertised and you don't have to get photos approved or pay a crazy yeah. fee every month. Um, how has visibility been though? Like, do you just pay for like AdWords a month or how do you help that it's out? SEO. We yeah. do it in house mostly. Okay. Um, and that's, We've got some great members that are really knowledgeable about this and um, we've, we've mostly just worked on it ourselves. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if other people find this, but so often when it comes to uh, people selling services to sex workers that are outside of our community, they have a lack of um, insider knowledge that makes it quite tricky to work with them. Oh my God, yes. I have such an example. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, you're just having to explain really basic <laughs> shit to them constantly. And this was our experience actually early on doing um, SEO work. Like, I remember we were working with uh, a more established company and we would have to explain to them again and again why they couldn't just write... Uh, 
the kind of um, keyword stuff copy that was like, when you use an escort, it's nice to use an escort. And we were like, yeah, we don't really love you talking <laughs> when about you us. buy um, an escort. Like, yeah. yeah, and like, the, you know, that there is this sweet spot between um, creating something that's beautiful and that's like a lovely website to use and where you don't arrive to a wall of text where you can tell it's been very densely stuffed for keywords. Like we're all really sensitive to that. Like there are some finely tuned aesthetes, well, within our membership, I think everyone's got a keen sense of like wanting something to look good. And that's what makes you feel sexy, right? Being showcased in a place where you're like, this looks really fucking cool and we're proud of it. Um, so, you know, when people from outside of the industry, like stomping, bullying a China shop, changing all your text, putting in H1 headers, and you're like, leave it alone, we made it look nice, don't touch our thing. So after that, we thought, we don't need to pay outsiders to do this, we can do this ourselves and learn in the process. Like, I know for loads of us, it's been a really helpful learning curve. Um, and, you know, finding the balance between making your site visible and making it also still be true to your vision is, is integral. And um, yeah, we're getting there. I think also we're fortunate in that we've got lots of members that are very active on Twitter and they already have like really strong connections with a load of people. So that, that helps us too. And it's just something that builds over time. We'll never, I think this is a really interesting thing around the, our community taking back and making resources for itself. We are not overnight going to be able to rival in the uk we have a service called adult work it's it's not going to be eros overnight like these things take a really long time and a load of money and capital and energy to build but we need to start somewhere and um i think this is the case with sites like trist right like they're yeah, really totally i really do like them yeah i like them too and i like their ethos and, you know, I see people being like, well, I, I'm not going to pull the same traffic from Trist as I do from Eros. And you're like, no, you're not. Like, it's Rome wasn't bow in a day. And we have to support these things where we can. I know everyone still has to make money. And I'm not saying, but like, pull your Eros ads. Um, <laughs> I just think, be careful with Eros. Um, but, like, we just have to kind of, yeah, stick with it. Definitely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. What other options are there than trying to start something like this? Is there like a maximum amount of people that you think that a collective could sustain before it would kind of run into issues just with like capacity? Do you have like a number in mind, like no more than 100 just because like we're only one group of people, you know? Yeah, basically you hit the nail on the head. It's 100. Like, um, and it's it's something that's like subject to rolling review by all of us, but we're never going to be... adult work and we can't continue to do that we can't continue I mean, to provide you don't want to be adult work no. like that's insane exactly. <laughs> that's it like i think the whole model is about making sure that everybody that's in the collective is cared for and that we're able to support each other and i think exponential growth is does not facilitate that for many of us and um i think yeah we we do what we do well and what that is is smaller and more um more I don't want to say bespoke. I'm not sure what the word is, but... Um, tailored. Yeah. Tailored. Tailored. To, oh, very good. Go. Very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to work if you ever worked in an agency, um, since you said you never sugared Louisa. Uh, I uh, did not work for an agency... Oh, well, I actually, my very first ever experience of sex work was with an agency. And that was like one job when I was younger, because I was always curious. And I did one job 
And I was like, oh, no, it's not for me. But that's just because the agency was a bit shambolic. It was like the faulty towers of sex work agencies, um, which I now think of very fondly. Like, I remember the guy that ran it when he, like, interviewed me uh, was just like some fumbling dad figure. And then at the end, he was like, oh, yeah, you can have a job. And do you want to come with me to watch the Arsenal football match now? And I was like, no, I do. I want to go home, actually. (laughs) Um, But no. I have not done agency work, really. Okay. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm like 100% anti-agency because the model of it not being exploitative and terrible is possible. I haven't personally experienced it myself, but I did just work for one agency in Scotland in 2013. So, I mean, my experience wasn't great, but I just wonder because you were like you said two months and then you joined the collective and that worked out just fine and it was kind of the the group you were looking for I suppose like I'm kind of into the idea of having systems or resources available for people that don't want to join an agency but want to join the industry and I think that collectives could be like a good option because like you said it's not for profit and yeah, it's a completely different model as well because obviously agencies there's hierarchies and and it, and it is essentially a shop front. You know, people are going to that website and they will book it through the agency, which is not something that we do. You contact the person directly through their own website. It's just the directory, um, and there are there are just so many things about being part of the collective and being able to make genuine long-lasting friendships with other people in your collective and you you find people that are so like-minded and will teach you so many things about you know whether it's about kink or about you know our work that we're doing or outside of it you know and it's it's really valuable and that kind of skill sharing as well that happens within the collective I think Louisa touched on you know so many people within the collective that have these really diverse skills that we're harnessing all the time. You know, whether it's going from like people writing blog posts that um, I think Skyla is going to be writing some poetry, isn't she? Yeah. And uh, like, you know, we've got Maddie Mercury's photos that she does and Valerie's photos. And we've got the podcast that we do and, yeah, graphics design. Oh, yeah, the podcast just, you guys do. I definitely need to touch on that. Sorry, I'm just going to make a note. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's just, it's, there's a lot of really, really talented people that are part of the collective and being able to harness that rather than if you're an independent worker and you don't have any connections within the industry, it's, it, it can be really isolating too, I think. You know, you don't have that sense of solidarity with other workers and if there are moments in in your working life that are really tough and you don't know how to talk them through with anyone else, you know, that that's something that is quite easily access, like accessible within the collective, I find. Um, so, because we all have times where work isn't, you know, perfect and we're, we, come, we come up against different barriers in different sectors of work. Um, so to be able to reach out to your group and say, you know, I need advice on this or does anyone have any resources on this or can I just vent to someone about having a really tough time for the past few months? You know, it's, it's incredibly valuable to be able to have access to that, I think. Yeah, there's something yeah. super sketch to me about 
someone accepting clients on your behalf and then kind of promising that you will consensually agree that trips me out fundamentally yeah I mean I get that I do totally also appreciate that everyone has a preferred way of working and for totally. some people it's a big the, time investment to be an independent it's it a massive really time is. investment it really is. yeah and like you know you might you might want someone that does the website that does the copywriting that answers the phone that organizes your shoots and I completely understand that like not everybody has the resources energy or time to work independently but I think most of us can acknowledge that a setup in which somebody is managing you and profiting from your labor does not mean they're likely to have your interests at heart when your interests are in conflict with their bottom line. Um, I'm sure there are nice managers, not all managers. I'm sure there are some nice ones out there. I'm sure that, there you know, are is, somewhere. I'm sure there are. Yeah, I've just never <laughs> met any of them. Um, but, you know, uh, I completely appreciate that it's also a privilege sometimes to be able to work independently. Um, and, you know, that privilege is something that I think redistributing that amongst the collective has always been important that there are uh, those of us who have the privilege of experience or the privilege of um, capital because we're we've been working longer and we charge higher rates as a result of all types of social privilege um, and that we do our best within that within our collective to challenge those things um, and I think make it maybe a slightly easier way of working for people but I do yeah I do feel completely aware that not everyone is able to be indie and that often, you know, agencies play a role there. Well, I mean, the whole the whole world is kind of moving towards, I don't want to work for this company, I'm going to make my own website and make my own business in every industry. And now we just see this is what the version of sex work looks like. You still want some kind of like bar association or whatever you want to call it for prostitutes, which makes mm. sense. No one wants to work completely alone in an industry with no access to uh, what other people are doing. How much work yeah. is it, though? Just so if, if someone in some other country somewhere is like, oh, you know what? They really like this. We should we should start a collective here. Like, do you want to like because you said you didn't know how much work it was, obviously. Do you want to give a little little how much work are they? How much time a week are they going to have to? <laughs> well, um, it's something it's hard to quantify how much time because the way that we allocate work um, is kind of quite flexible and different tasks are picked up by different people depending on their skill sets and so they can be quite discreet um and nobody is obliged to you know do x amount of hours at the coal face it's very much according to people's capacity um inclination like we don't want this to become this really onerous thing for people and we often kind of rotate in and out of responsibilities and roles so that no one is stuck laboring away and if someone's like, hey, I need to step back this month, I'm tired and overwhelmed, or I just want some time off, like, that's that's always completely fine. Um, I think it's one of those things that will take up as much time as anyone is, is really willing to spend on it. So that could be, especially around something like um, SEO, for instance, like we spoke about before, like, you can just do that and do that and do that and... Um, you know, like personally, I quite like doing that kind of task because you really see a return and you see it having an impact. Um, but I think there's also some additional work around um, creating ways for everybody to feel included and involved and respected and heard. And that that's often the thing that um, can be a little bit more time consuming. But I think that's true of like friendships anyway, that you are sometimes going to have to get under the hood and kind of do the emotional heavy lifting of like, how do we make this better? How do we make sure that everybody has real buy-in here and has a real voice? And how do we acknowledge some of the barriers that people might experience? Like, 
you know, when we first started, we were really aware as founder members that we were like 20 mates and we didn't want the sort of people coming in who we didn't know to be like, oh, I, there's this like clique who are the main people and I don't feel that way. So how do we work really hard to try and counteract that um, and make it feel like like a real community? Um, but with regards to like, if people were interested in doing it, um, we've been talking about this for a while. If anybody is interested in doing it, they can DM us on Twitter. We might uh, kind of create a bit of a guide as to how we did it, what we've learned, what we wouldn't do again, those kinds of things. I think that would be so cool. So cool. So useful. Yeah. Or like a webinar. Maybe that's way over ambitious. No one will spend any more time on Zoom right now, but um, something because, you know, (laughs) this knowledge exists in our heads and something we've been trying really hard to do in the last year or so is like get it out of our heads and into air tables and stuff like that because we need tools. God, wouldn't that be so cool? Just like a Google Docs open to all all the prostitutes that would like access globally to just make their own collectives. <laughs> Watch so, out. Utopian vision. <laughs> Especially because there's that members cap because we can't take on right, you know, right. members ourselves. It's, it's, it's going to, it would end up being like a full-time, a beyond full-time job once yeah. you get beyond a certain number because it's just, I mean, the amount of work that goes into um, all of it is, is quite a lot, you know. For, for I mean, I just advertise for myself and I already am overwhelmed. So I can't imagine having other people to try to keep happy as well. Yeah, I mean, Hazel is one of the people that works on the Twitter and it's like... Oh my God, you most, brave soul. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, that is a big old task. And I think she could probably say how much time that takes... Um, I know that you work in a team, Hazel, but like it's it's a big piece of work because it has to be really fair, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it, it's yeah trying to manage ha- how often we're promoting people versus uh, spamming Twitter. You know, once you get to a certain amount of members, it, yeah, it you people get less promotion essentially because. We can't, we can't be sending out like five or six tweets every single day of just a promo because uh, the shadow ban um, is forever looming. Uh, but yeah, it, I think it is a lot of work, but it just depends on the day that you're, you're sitting down and writing a tweet. And I think anyone would say that who, who does that is sometimes you'll sit down and you'll bosh out 20 tweets like easy as pie. And sometimes you sit down and stare at one tweet for three hours trying to figure out if there's any way that could ever possibly be read wrong and the answer is yes it's always yes like (laughs) it's just yeah you can just end up completely overthinking it and you're like (laughs) yeah um so it just depends but it's, it's a good thing to collaborate on I think that's the most important thing is to be able to have a team that you can bounce those ideas off of and and within a collective because everyone knows each other and knows how people market themselves often within the team you can say what do you think of this caption for this person and someone could say oh I think maybe they'll prefer if you tweaked it and said it like that because I know that that's what they're marketing for so it it makes a massive difference whereas within directories they don't they don't know your brand from Adam you know they don't know what your 
what you're aiming towards or, you know, what you might want more of at the minute or what you might want less of. So it, it's a very personalised approach, I think, that is hard to find elsewhere in the industry. That sounds great. I mean... I, I haven't personally experienced any of this, but I mean, if I were part of it, I could even just cursory see the benefits. Have you guys, because obviously shadow banning is like a daily threat for all of us. Have you guys made like a mailing list or we're all like getting deplatformed so much nowadays. Have you guys like addressed that at all? Because it's almost like having your own directory is like a great solution to that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, that was a big part of the conversations we had as founder members was how to try and be as safe as we could at the time. And this was two years ago, so we were just like post Foster Sesta. And so a lot of the reason that the site is uh, like where it's hosted, who we build with, um, the domain, like all those things, and also some behind the scenes stuff is is really informed by um, a concern with trying to safeguard what we have whilst all of us I think constantly live in the threat of like what might go now so you can only ever build your house on the sort of foundations you have access to at that moment in time and you know even in the five years that I've been doing this it is terrifying watching everything shut down and to feel like like uh, it feels like in some ways (laughs) yeah right I I think when if they if we get booted off Twitter it's going to be pretty terrifying but um let's not think about that um it's it's not i mean it's gonna happen at some point but we will find a way around it like everyone has throughout all history it'll just be what is it (laughs) yeah i know um but yeah i I mean we don't have a mailing list um i think we did think about it at one point i vaguely recall a conversation around that so i think something that i should say um in relation to how much work is it is there's often like we come out of meetings and we're like oh these amazing ideas agenda items points actions and then like a 25% of them are just forgotten and then you come back to a meeting a year later and someone goes hey did we ever do that and you think oh fuck no we never did that but um yeah you're right like I think the other reason of like having it in the community is that no one could ever yank it away from us or even just change the terms like I saw Scarlet Blue just jack up their pricing apropos of nothing earlier this week and I think not ever knowing when that might come and what it might mean for you. And like to do that in a pandemic is really shitty, nasty behavior. It's um, nasty, but they can get away with it. Which... They can. That's why they do it. Right. Like they can get away with it. So they do it. And um, you're forever beholden to them, both in terms of your income and, you, you know, your space online. Um, but you know, yeah, we should come back to the mailing list. <laughs> honestly, I think that yeah. it's just a great safeguard because then at least all those clients could find your whole platform again if you have to up and make a new one. It's another another hosting site. I mean, yeah. I just anyone out there having issues keeping going nowadays with everything, just it's going to be the new roaring twenties. You know, as soon as herd immunity vaccine, whatever, just 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 set your sights for three years from now and just plot for that year and all the cool things you're gonna do that year. And then just endless, <laughs> endless prep for that, you know, take it slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> so so <laughs> the next days. Yeah. yeah. Eventually down the line. What else do I have on here? I guess yeah, I'm not really sure. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything else you kinda wanted to add about the whole concept of sex work or just starting a collective or whatever it is there was a shout out for other collectives 
Ooh, yeah. yeah. Do you have other favorite collectives or ones that you like? Do you, or? Do you want to take huh? that, Louisa? Yes. Do you want to take um, that, Louisa? I can. Um, are there other collectives we're fans of? Yes. I mean, I think OIC are really cool, actually. And yeah. um, I think that their work with the um, emergency fund is really brilliant and um, the kind of thing that, you know, is really needed and a really valuable thing that collectors can do as well. Um, in the UK, for the duration of the pandemic, there's really been one centralised... Well, actually, that's not true. There's been a couple in England and there's one in Scotland and, and Irish ones too, but, like, um, of hardship funds. And I think it's been um, pretty astonishing and heartwarming to see people respond to that. I mean, it makes my fucking stomach drop to think that we had to solve this problem um but that uh the fact that we as a community could raise support give away redistribute funds to each other in times of of crisis and that also so many allies supported it like i think that made me you know have a bit of faith um so yeah anything around that i think is really cool and i know oic did one and massive hats off to them um i also think that we should shout out um the new york collectives that are the art of submission and the art of domination who um do quite a similar thing to us actually but in new york and um obviously the sites are split across those two different um kind of kink positions um but they were um really um informative when we first started thinking about this and i used to advertise with them when i would tour to the states and it just seemed really cool that they were doing this and um lots of us sort of thought oh we'd like we'd like something a little bit like that please in london um so they were brilliant um but i think yeah at that point in time it felt like there was a real gap in the market here in the uk for something and i know that there are a few more like emerging indie collectives now uh, in the UK um, that are sort of in different pockets of the industry. So I hope that they just continue to flourish and be a thing that people feel empowered to create and run. Um, but and, yeah, uh, and if open invitation to email her so everyone can be friends everywhere, right? Yeah, I think uh, if people are interested in learning more about it, um, DM us on the Kaylee Collective Twitter. Um, maybe if we've got enough interest, then we'll make something that's kind of shareable with lots of the people, um, which would be a really good exercise, I, I think, for us to do. And yeah, I, I mean, we also try to make resources that extend just beyond our own collective um and that includes we made a, a resource for people working with photographers like a pledge for photographers and models to use as a framework for negotiating safer sets and that's an open access resource on our blog and um, another member of ours valerie august just made this completely brilliant a comprehensive list of web professionals who have um who work with sex workers and they understand the industry and it's exactly to counter that thing we spoke about before um where you're dealing with some like kind of creepy web dev guy and he's also late delivering your site or whatever so um a link to that is also on our blog and it's a really really cool resource um and i know that we want to make more of those things because we like the knowledge existing in an open access way in the world not just um behind closed doors i think that's the more democratic way of approaching these things and making the industry better for all of us 
Totally. I saw some of your blog posts and they seem, they seem very well researched and like great resources. And, uh, the one time I did try to hire someone to make a website, they tried to call the patronage page donation page, which I know some people like, but I'm not charity. So, I mean, we're all just so specific about that kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So cool. Shout out to those art of Dom and art of sub in New York. Um, good work. Yeah. Good work on being good role models. <laughs> hey, Rizzle, I'm having some else? serious babes in there, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's really hard not to talk over each other. We've done like an amazing job. Um, I've been trying so hard to not. I'm like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Hazel, anything else you want to just add about life? Just about a sex work. I'm going to keep, I'm going to ask you guys your favorite books and programs after this, but does anything come to mind? You're like, in, in general, does life. Uh, I think um, the secret to it is like 42 isn't it um, yeah I think no I I don't think so <laughs> um, I think we've covered a, a lot of really important things um, it's just a big shout out to all of our members really for being amazing for being um, themselves yeah just but just yeah, a whole group of people doing their own thing and doing it really fabulously. So well, it's, it's uh, I mean, really shout out to, to Hazel for being a great listener. That's that's what I learned here today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like to end this what with asking you guys what your favorite books are or your favorite programs or just I think people like recommendations sometimes there's so much media out there that it's like oh you know what she was cool I'll look at I'll look at what she likes to look at yeah good question um I know that when you mentioned this you said oh they don't have to be about sex work but actually the ones I've chosen are all about sex work because I think they're like amazing books and I wish more sex workers had read them because then I could talk about them with them um so the things I would recommend books wise are um a book called The Crimson Petal and the White by uh Michelle Faber and it's a contemporary version of a Victorian novel about a prostitute in Victorian London called Sugar Mm -hmm. and it's about her and it's also about um a woman working in the temperance movement and about a woman who's a very sheltered wife of um, the industrialist that is having an affair with sugar. And it's so good. It's it's long and it's rich and it's like delicious. And I read it years ago and then a girlfriend of mine um, got onto the audiobook and she was like, you have to listen to this. This woman's voice is amazing. And she was right. It's the most sonorous, beautiful reading of a beautiful book. And it's so good that sometimes I listen to it in the car and I get to where I'm supposed to be. And you're like, shit, I don't want to get out of the car. I just have to keep listening to this. God damn, um, that is the so, best. Um, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. I can't imagine a better like review of this. <laughs> um, so I'd recommend that. And then I would recommend... Um, this brilliant book called Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendes, which is a like prodigiously brilliant debut novel uh, by the author. It's about a young black gay uh, guy who's left a Jehovah's Witness community and moved to London to start doing sex work. And oh it's incredible. It's so, so good. Um, and I whipped through that and loved it. And uh, yeah. I think those are my two big ones. Oh, and then this completely bonkers book called Lightning Rods by Helen DeWitt, 
which is um it's this insane book about um sexual labor and it's I, I i really struggle to talk about it because it's a bonkers novel about uh a guy that has an idea about um conflating um essentially feminized temp work with um sex work but in this way where it's like hey i've just solved this crazy problem with this like hairbrain scheme but it's very satirical and very strange and no one has read it and every time i give it to a friend to read i'm like this book is just completely batshit but it's great and i recommend it well i can't wait to read that that is like that is also the best you're really good you should write like little tidbits to get people to read novels these are great thanks <laughs> what about you hazel I've never listened to an audio book, and now I really want to listen to it. Oh, my God, never? Like, you really just sold that to me. I do not have the attention span for listening to an audio book. Like, there's something something about it. It's it's the same with really, like, really long podcasts. If there's not, like, any fluctuation in voice, I just don't retain any of the information. It just sounds like a really soothing background sound that never penetrates my mind in the same way as reading. It's great to walk with, you know, instead of nature sounds, which actually are really meditative and therapeutic. So don't listen to me at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, 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 it's kind of nice to zone out to, but sometimes I kind of want to know what I've just listened to for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah. But uh, in terms of my recommendations, um, I would say I read a really good book that a client gave me, actually, um, called Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. And that's kind of like just this really interesting way that she writes about her life just before she met her partner, um, Jack. And then they subsequently had their child, and Jack is um, a trans man. And that the whole book kind of it's this kind of running I've forgotten the word for it it's this running like thought commentary from her about how how she felt when she met him and how excited and you know how their love just like completely grew and her perceptions of motherhood and and becoming a mother and navigating like relationships after motherhood It, it was a really interesting book I there were a few comments in it that made me wonder whether she was not an ally of sex workers, but it, they weren't so glaring that I didn't like the book. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good read, objectively, when I didn't try and read into certain comments too much. Um, and then I really enjoyed The Hidden Life of Trees, uh, which is a book about the hidden life of trees. It was, that it was, book is yeah. sick. What's the just, what's the author? So lovely. It's Peter 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 oh I wrote it down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, if I had retained this information. Uh Peter Walman? Walden? Peter Walden, I think. Okay. That's how you pronounce it. But it's just it's it's completely amazing. Like when I was reading it, you just suddenly at trees in like complete awe like <laughs> they're, they're incredible before reading it but just afterwards oh my god that tree needs to be like that's so funny I wonder if you would like 
the overstory by Richard Powers. I've heard the exact same what I got out of the book as what you just said, but from a different book. Really? Yeah. What is it overstory. Yeah, the overstory. It's a book about six different people's lives, I believe. I bought it from my uncle and I was going to read it, but I haven't read it yet. But I've heard a lot of great things and it makes you appreciate trees in ways you never have before. So it's like exactly yeah, it's the just, same conclusion, but a different book. And also, like, ahead of it, an oak tree was like my favorite tree. I like, really loved oak trees. And then he, he just slates them in it by saying that they're like super weak once they're part of a team. Like, they're really, really strong, oh. really like individualist trees as soon as you put more trees around an oak tree they just like fail um and maybe lose my respect for them a bit. um <laughs> yeah and then i'd say probably um in terms of what i would suggest watching um the euphoria special episode on now tv was just like i i have not seen tv like that before like the the concept of having like a hour-long episode where forty-five minutes of it is just dialogue in the same cafe and it's like so emotional and captivating and gripping and yeah it's, it's just it I, I would highly recommend that people watch that that's it's really cool really done, I thought. Um, do you have a yeah. program you recommend to watch with your eyeballs while you read hey. with your ears or eyes oh my god they're both eyeballs and ears oh Never mind. I do everything with all my senses anytime. (laughs) Um, I think that the thing that I have watched, I've rewatched, and rewatching it, I just came back to it with even more. I know everybody already knows about this, but if you haven't watched Succession, you just have to make the time to watch it because it is so good and so epic and so brilliant. And also, um, it's like an exercise in incredible plotting and character development and it is astonishing to me that writers can take a group of people that are like fundamentally objectionable and terrible people because the show is about a sort of Murdoch-esque family of media. uh, It's like a great tragedy, right? Yes, it becomes entirely tragic. Have you watched it? I have, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I just loved it so much and um, I think a big part of that is because one of its writers, showrunner, um, wrote my all-time favorite British comedy, which is a show called Peep Show. Which Pop off, I love be... that show. It's definitely. I was just watching it yesterday. Like I, the first three seasons yeah. are the best. I mean, oh come my on. god, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I. It's like the thing that I. Yeah, yeah. It's the same writer. Um, I didn't. You so rarely. Yeah, and there's like funny little clapbacks in succession to Peep Show. Like there's a, a, a character in Peep Show called Stefan Strauss, who's a figure, like a, a comedic figure in the German office of JLB. And then there is a scene in succession where a character is like being fired or something and they go, yeah, come in. Hi, I'm Stefan Strauss. And I just like screamed with delight oh when I God, found you're that you're a way bigger fan. The guy who was, they put like a sausage on his door that one day when he's making like the little doodle. Chaos. Yes, yes exactly. yeah, I yes, you know, she's watched it. <laughs> yeah, um, so um, that would, so Peep Show and Succession as companion pieces, I guess, would be my recommendations. And then other than that, I just watched The Crown because I just fucking want to eat that show for breakfast. I have never watched it. It's on the to-do list. Yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's a complicated show if you're like, a Republican and not a fan of Thatcher and yet 
have an undying crush on Gillian Anderson where you're like, oh, confused boner. I mean, also. she's pretty hot. I also like Olivia Coleman, obviously biased mm. because of Peep Show, but I mean, who wouldn't love of her? Course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's a heartthrob in mm. a non superficial way. That makes sense. Absolutely. I, also, uh, she's amazing in the favorite. I guess this, has, this is not apropos at all, but I don't really know anyone else has watched it. Did you guys watch, sorry, did you ladies watch the Louis Theroux on sex work doc the beginning of last year? No, because no? I just like myself too much to watch that show. <laughs> I didn't want to give him another view. Yeah, I just right. I didn't want to give him another view. I just, I oh, thought it no. was going to be... <laughs> just a tough watch because I think that he can handle those issues very, very reductively. He's uh he's just like that big, tall, weird uncle, you know, who just puts himself in there. I always find it entertaining. Yeah, I find something about that like very curious because I would contrast Louis Theroux to John Ronson and both occupy yes. the like out yeah, but they do things really differently. Like John Ronson I think makes an earnest and significant attempt to empathize with people in his work and to build bridges between his lived experiences and the lived experiences of people that he interviews and works with. And like, I thought that he did a pretty good job with those podcasts about, um, well, firstly about Mind Geek and then about August Ames. But, um, but with Louis Theroux, it feels like he's, he's cynically winking to you at home and being like, look at these fucking weirdos. I'm going to pretend to be like them. And it's baiting. I think he baits people. And I think that he does so in this um, cynical way that, that is a kind of often uh, encouraging you to laugh at them and encouraging you to um, assert like a different, a position of superiority over people that like they're really poking fun at. Do you know, um, I think that that he is trying hard not to, you know, but there is just a little bit of that. Like I went to private school in London, just creeping in there. I remember when yeah. I first heard his backstory that I was like, fucking, of course, this is why there are successful people in this world. It's because their parents were connected and they grew up in a really rich place. Almost none of it is yeah. like purely off your own merit. Ew. Especially I not in the UK. I mean, ostracized already, like ostracized communities. You know, he's not like bringing people in and finding any kind of like level of middle ground. It's just always, it feels like he, his humor is about him being dropped in the middle of what is supposed <laughs> to be a, a laughable situation. And so there's no like humanizing of the people whose house he is staying in or whose community he has walked into. He is just like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I'm about to get into a hot tub with a bunch of naked people. Like, how can people do this? And and people laugh at it because they think that's ridiculous. It's not, there's no kind of, like, as a journalist, I think it's very shallow level because there's no deep dive into why these people do this thing or what has caused this community to exist, you know. Oh, yeah. Even if it's with communities that I don't, you know, have any kind of thing in common with, you know, it's some of them are quite, you know, out there. Yeah, like the, the neo-Nazis politics. he interviewed, etc. Yeah, but it is still that, like, prodding and, like, he's provoking them to make further fools of themselves rather provoking than Provoking them is entirely the right way to put it, yeah. And it very much is to his and humor, the way you said. It's to his humor, yeah. But then also when he has then had an episode on neo-Nazis and then he does an episode on sex work, it's as if, like, 
we're under the same umbrella of like ostracization. Um, I just think, yeah. It's, I like him leaps and bounds better than like Rashida Jones, though. Given the better of two evils, I would pick Louis. I would. Yeah, I, I would pick Louis. But what I would do is ideally pick somebody that, that I would want sex workers, especially when it comes to our own stories, to tell them for ourselves. Like, how much richer would that be if we were interviewing each other? Like, we were given a platform because we'd get them like we're doing stuff. right now. Oh my god, know, this exactly. is cool. <laughs> how revolutionary! I know, I know. But it's like the things that, like, the entry points to the conversations with sex workers that non-sex working people have. Um, in some ways, they're a really limited. They're based on like the fact that they, that most people don't know how we work or what we work, and there's lo- sort of the way we work, and there's lots of misconceptions about that. But as a result, the dialogue's just boring because you're like, you could ask this amazing, cool question about, you know, X, Y, Z thing that no one's even contemplated outside of this industry. Um, like, I think something that was really fascinating is around the Me Too movement that sex workers had something really, really unique to say there about negotiating consent at work and that um, we understood nuance in a way where you're like, okay, I can consent to this, but then the point at which I no longer consent to this, something has changed and they're really intangible small changes sometimes, but that we know it. And um, that felt like a space where we had a huge amount to say and that, yeah, didn't get enough space to talk about it. But, um, yeah. Just give all jobs to sex workers all the time. Basically. Prepare yourself for that eventual uprising of the sex worker actually being listened to and just perfect your sentences, rehearse them in the mirror, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but yeah, basically like Get Louis... Your eyebrows. <laughs> Louis theory would be, I guess, the equivalent of that like web designer guy that doesn't really know about it. Then he's like, interesting. She did not want it to be addressed as donations. And I wonder if that stems in her childhood and she hasn't considered the benefits of it being called a donation instead of patronage i get it i get it yeah well thank you guys i don't really have anyone else to ask about the whole louis theory thing because i was just looking into i guess investigative journalists and then specifically ones that did stuff about sex work that weren't like horrifically skewed and at least attempting in some way and there hasn't there hasn't been that many options so well, here's to all of us making a really cool documentary in the future, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I guess I am all... going to Louis' house. <laughs> I'm sure he has five houses. Well, I don't think I, I have anything else to... Anything else to Ah, do you want to add any final words of wisdom for any other sex workers listening or clients or non-industry folk about things that maybe they could think about, remember, look out for? Yeah, I guess the one thing I would say to clients and non-industry folk is just, like, this is a really, really tough time for us right now. It's been a hard year for everybody, but I think it's been really, really hard for sex workers. Um, And so... Yeah, your support and your donations and your solidarity means a lot to us at the moment. So we see it and we appreciate it and we we want it. <laughs> so I think my my parting words are just like, you know, if you want to support us, find the hardship funds that, that are doing that work or, you know, come out for us on Twitter when people are being terrible and, and just, yeah, be an ally to us. would be, be cool. That's it. Don't take up your favorite sex worker's time for free, like a pest. Hazel? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I would echo that. 
I think it's it's a case of people will look back on these years of COVID, sex workers will look back on these years of COVID and, and really keenly remember the people who supported them. And that that is, you know, non-industry allies that stood up for sex workers at all times and used their voice because we're so often silenced uh, in the spaces where we need to be completely put on the stage and allowed free reign to talk about, you know, our, our issues, you know, our, the stigma. Um, and also when it comes to clients, you know, we will very, we'll look back on this time and remember those who supported us and, and didn't expect, you know, us to go above and beyond in, in gratitude because it's, it, this is a really chaotic and difficult time for so many of us that when you're self-employed and your whole job revolves around human touch, uh, yeah, I think there's clients that do support us. They, they're, they're gold, so thank you. Thank you to the good ones out there. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't thank these ladies enough for giving me their time. It is, what, five hours ahead for them. So it really is nighttime over there. (laughs) Thank you you for having us. Of course. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much. You did such a good job. Thank you. So did you. I'm sorry if I talked over everybody. Oh, my God. Stop. You were fine. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you to everyone for listening. I've attached KLE Collective's website in the show notes, along with links to where you can find Louisa and Hazel. The KLE Collective even has their own podcast with a few episodes you could access through our website. So why not take a listen to one of those if you get the chance? Um, also, if you haven't already done so, why not subscribe to the show's Patreon and get access to exclusive episodes? You can join for as little as $1 a month. Simply choose to make your own tier option. All subscriptions help the podcast sustainability immensely. Plus, you get bonus episodes and the opportunity to chat with me and leave comments about what you thought about the episodes. Really no downside. I am wishing all of you a very happy and relaxing Monday. Don't forget to stay curious. And if you're wondering about something, just take a minute out to research it. No time like the present.